in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Dad told me you found something. On a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? Don't move. We need to get out of here. Stop! Sorry. Helena! Dr. Jones, get him. Welcome to the Strange Harbors Podcast, a weekly discussion of television, movies, and pop culture. My name is Derek Wong, and with me tonight is... Amir Toure. Jeff is off this week. Normally, you would be hearing his voice first, I guess, but uh, he is off. He's on a little bit of vacation with family, so today is just me and Amir. So tonight, we are covering the latest Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is the fifth movie in the Indiana Jones saga. I guess we should probably start out by talking a little bit about our thoughts overall about Indiana Jones. I mean, when we first saw these movies, probably when we were kids, but I don't even know how many we would have seen in the theaters, right? Yeah, no, there's no way I could have seen these in theaters, right? Right, yeah. Raiders is 81, Temple of Doom is 84, Last Crusade is 89, it would have been three. There's no way. Yeah, the only one we've probably have saw in theaters is Kingdom of the Crystal Soul, right? <laughs> Less said about that one, the better. Um, so yeah, I really do like all of these movies. Well, the first three anyway. Uh, Crystal Skull, I think, is bad. I wasn't super excited to see this new one just because it's like an, you know, I don't know, 80-something-year-old Harrison Ford playing like an action star. Mm-hmm. And they'd already sort of done one bad, I don't know, sequel movie in Crystal Skull. So I wasn't exactly looking forward to this one, and then I saw that the box office tanked, and reviews weren't great, so wasn't super excited about this one, but I, I do have a fondness for the first three. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I am very much the same. I remember growing up watching the first three on, like, VHS, anyone knows what that is, and on TV, and I remember really loving this character. I don't know if I love this franchise as much as, let's say, you know, something like Star Wars growing up. But I do think this is a good role for Harrison Ford. I think he is passionate about this character, and you can kind of yes, see it um, come off screen. he likes this role in a way that he, for example, doesn't seem to like Han Solo very much, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we could talk a little bit about our rankings maybe later down the line after we've discussed number five, but... I do have a pretty soft spot for number two, actually. I think that might be the one I watched the most growing up. Really? Yeah, weirdly. Weirdly. I think it was the one that was like, I seem to catch on TV the most. That's so weird. I feel like I never see that one. It's just people just don't like it as much. Yeah, so it's just I know. <laughs> never, I don't know. It's never playing or people turn it off if it's on or they switch the channel. You just don't see that one as much, you know? Like, I just saw, you know, I don't know, half of Last Crusade at a bachelor party just look kind of like on in the background or hanging yeah. out. But, you know, if it was Temple of Doom, maybe that one wouldn't have stayed on. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, just, that's why yeah. I say I have a little bit of a soft spot just because I know maybe that's people's, like, I guess before this movie, the third favorite. Oh, it's definitely uh, third. I think I do love the character of Short Round, too. Like, that was always kind of an influential character for me growing up. But I do love Raiders, and I do love uh, The Last Crusade, too. I generally do really like the first three in this franchise. Of course, that fourth one does leave a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth. And then 
now we're kind of into this latest one. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say before we give our thoughts on this latest one? Let's do a ranking real quick without the fifth one. Maybe I'll go first because I think my ranking is probably more conventional. I think Crystal Skull is clearly the worst. That's four. Temple of Doom is three. The only question is, do you like Raiders more than Last Crusade? And I kind of go back and forth on that issue. I don't really know which one I enjoy more. It might be just like the one I've seen most recently. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess maybe today it would be Raiders, but you know, I don't know if I go back and see Last Crusade. Maybe it'll be that. They're both great. I just think the Nazis are the iconic Indiana Jones villain, and uh, you know, you get some biblical uh, divine intervention in both of them, and they're just both great and both a lot of fun. And you love Sean Connery and Crusade as well. But then you've got Karen Allen in the first one. Yeah, they're just both just great. That's a tie for one and two, I think. What yeah. about you? Do you put Temple of Doom in, in win one? No, I actually don't. I say I do have a soft spot, but I do know that it's... But you're still sane. Okay. I'm still like you're sane. Yes, maybe I'm still <laughs> sane enough to know that like that's not the best of the bunch. You know, like I said, it is a soft spot and I, I do find it really entertaining and I do like it. But I will generally agree that I think I kind of go with your ranking. And if I were to have to choose, I would probably still put... Yeah, Raiders higher than Last Crusade, just because I think for me, a lot of those scenes are just more iconic, you know? There's a whole Disneyland ride based on like the falling boulder, right? Chasing right, yeah, Indiana. Yeah, yeah. I think the lore around the desert fight where he just shoots the guy. Now it's just like this famous lore about how he was sick that day and like, you know, he couldn't actually do the physical fighting. So he just, they ended the fight real quick by having him just shoot the dude, right? Right. And then, of course, you know, the iconic last scene, the face melting and everything. So I, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, not to say I don't love things about three, but I think just like in this iconic status of a movie, I think, you know, Raiders takes it from me. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with you. I think it probably has more iconic stuff. What about then, uh, last thing before we jump into this movie, what about James Mangold, director of this? Because all the others are directed by Spielberg, right? Even that really crappy fourth one <laughs> are all <laughs> Spielberg, right? Yes. So what do we think of. We've talked about Spielberg enough. I think everyone recognizes that he's great. We love him on this podcast. We talked about the Fablemans not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Spielberg's great. Like, we have no problem with Spielberg. I don't know what the fuck went wrong with uh, Crystal Skull, but I don't think it's his direction, right? Mm-hmm. So, what about James Mangold? What do you think of him? Kind of look at his career. Like, generally, I like his stuff. I mean, I think Ford and Ferrari is, is a very competent Oscar bait movie. I know people love, love Logan, and I think I've talked about it. I have my issues with that movie, but generally, like, I think it is a great send-off for the character of Wolverine. I even love his 2013 version, The Wolverine, the second movie in the Wolverine franchise. Like, I think he is- You love The Wolverine? Love The 2013 Wolverine? You don't like that one? I like that one. I like it. I wouldn't say I love it. I I think it's fine. I think it's, like, I don't know, 80% of a pretty good comic book movie. Like, the first most of it is really good, right? Yeah, I know. I do think it falters at the end. It's just like that last little bit where they make it a little too comic book movie-ish. Which I love a comic-y comic book movie, but it just doesn't really fit with the rest of the movie. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's one of the stronger ones. I'm not not, against you saying that at all. It's one of the stronger ones. I don't love it. It's fine. You know? That is Logan, I think, closer to love, which I don't know if I love that either. But Logan is – I think I don't have your problem with Logan. I think Logan's really strong. As far Mm -hmm. as comic movies go, that one's up there. So, when he was announced to direct Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, I was optimistic about the choice. I think he's a really good director. Is it because of, like, 310 to Yuma? I mean, I think it's it's possibly what I was expecting from this chapter. Maybe, you know, like, us, you talking about Harris Ford being a little bit older. 
can he really do more of these? He did a great send off for a character that was in pop culture for close to 20 years, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. So knowing how he handled that movie, I don't say I was confident, but I wasn't against his being given the reins of this franchise and of this character and maybe a little hopeful in the sense that maybe he can do a similar potential send-off to this character because i do think it is maybe time to retire the character of indiana jones yeah you know i have thoughts about the ending of this movie so we'll get into that when we get into spoilers we can kind of talk about did he accomplish that or not in creating a cohesive story and maybe an ending for this character yeah so no i was not turned off by the idea of james mangold directing this movie yeah i agree i wasn't turned off by it either and then like the fact that crystal skull was a miss with spielberg at the helm made me feel like okay Maybe they're going in a different direction and it'll be fine. Yeah. So, in the end, what did you think of this one? I quite enjoyed it. I don't think this reaches the heights of those first two movies that we talked about. When we talk about our list like of Raiders and Last Crusade. But as a movie, I think this is better than... Temple of Doom, and of course, better than the last Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Wow, interesting. So I wouldn't have put this better than uh, Temple of Doom, but I also haven't seen Temple of Doom in a while. Maybe Temple of Doom is weaker than I remember. I mean, you have a soft spot at Temple of Doom. You still think this one's better than Temple of Doom? I recognize Temple of Doom is like this weird, almost side story for Indiana Jones that you know gets away from the and Nazis. It's a, it's a prequel. It's like a prequel. Kind of racist. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, a little. And even like the villain is quite silly, you know? Yeah. And thinking about this movie, like in talking about more about this movie, right? Dial of Destiny, I do like the action. I think most of the action set pieces were actually pretty well done and I enjoyed most of them. I can't think of one that was particularly like boring or not thrilling. I think Harrison Ford is given more to do in this movie than he was in something like Temple of Doom or Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, right? And is actually relying a little bit more on his acting ability to portray something in Indiana Jones I don't think he's had to deal with um, mm. so in any of the other movies. And I do like the addition of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I think she's really fun. She's really charismatic. You know, I liked her in like Fleabag. You know, she's a great writer. So like, I think she was a fun addition. I think there are definitely characters and actors that are absolutely wasted in this movie and one of them surprisingly not being in my opinion Mads Mikkelsen I actually think he's given a lot to do in this movie uh, a lot more than he's probably done in the last couple of years in movies Gone right in a as, while. Yeah. as like Caselius in Doctor Strange or as Grindelwald in the Harry Potter movies right like those are just really thankless roles and like I think he's given a lot in this movie at least a lot more in those and I quite liked him as a villain. So I think overall, like, all those kind of add up to something that probably is a little bit better than Temple Doom, in my opinion. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I wouldn't put it there for me. This is still below Temple of Doom, but better than Crystal Skull. So I put this in as the fourth. But okay. I, I don't know. I think there's some things that count against it. It's long. I think the mm-hmm. aging thing still, although it's a lot better than it's been in the past, it still doesn't fully work de-aging stuff, the CGI. I do think Harrison Ford's probably a bit too old to be doing these action roles at this point, and I think it does show a bit. Yeah. And as much as I love Mads, I still don't think he had enough to do here. I don't know, he's just so good. Like, he's so good in Hannibal. 
Mm-hmm. You know that he can be so good, and he's given them, like, room to work. Um, what was he in? Another round a couple years ago. Like, when he gets room to work, he can really do stuff. He does a lot of these sort of thankless roles. And unfortunately, I'd put this, I don't know, I think this is more similar to Caecilius or something than I would have liked from him. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. mean, it's not like he's awful or anything. No. But, so you know what it is? Like, he's very good at being like a charming, charismatic presence as well as a creepy guy. Mm. Like, he can do both, and he's not really allowed to do the charismatic thing, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, compare this to, like, Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards, if you want to compare, like, an all-time great. That's very true. Nazi very, very true. asshole mm-hmm. performance. Like, that's an all-timer, right? So, like, I think Mads has that in him. You know, he could do it if you gave him the room. But maybe it's not just not that kind of movie. I don't know. I just I wasn't as impressed with it as you were, I guess. It didn't strike me as, I don't know, I just like him so much. You know, you just want to see him do a little more. Having heard you talk about the whole Christoph Waltz thing, like, I definitely agree. Like, in the grand spectrum of things, yeah, like, if you're comparing it to someone like that, yeah, he definitely is not doing as much as that. But I guess I was kind of comparing it to, like, just the last couple roles that he's been in, like, when it comes to, like, big paychecks, sure. like, other, Which you know. Like, complete, yeah. I think he is still because he's given a lot of screen time in this movie. It's not like he's just there; like he's given enough to do, in my opinion. So I'll press you on that. What does he do? What's a Matt Mickelson thing he does in this movie? Like, what's? I mean, I think it has to do a lot with that creepiness factor that you're talking about. Okay. Like, I think about that scene where he's uh, talking to the waiter or like the person who's dropping off his room service. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty creepy. Yeah. I think he is like this menacing kind of boss figure. It's interesting that, you know, the character, it's just like a simple mathematician, but a character like the character played by Boyd Holbrook is like kind of the muscle that seems to follow along. Like, I think there is a presence to Mads here that is menacing and powerful, even though he's essentially a nerd scientist, right? Mm. I think there is some layers but agreed it's not as intricate as someone let's say as christoph waltz in inglorious bastards right right so yeah that's the overall you want to get any the uh plot of the movie a little bit yeah yeah so we start with like what it's like it feels like a 45 minutes it's not that long but we get really long flashback sequences the intro to this movie of de-aged indiana jones in world war ii which is something we haven't seen before the last movie I don't know, chronologically, I guess, uh, Last Crusade, ends before World War II starts, I think, right? So I think this is our first shot seeing Indiana Jones in World War II, and he's fighting Nazis, which, you know, makes sense. That's what you expect him to be doing. So I guess he's hunting the lance of Longinus, the lance that, like, pierced the side of Christ. And, you know, um, true to form with the Nazis' obsession with the occult, they think this thing has magical powers, and so they're hunting after it. And one of the head Nazis in charge of this hunt is Mads Mikkelsen. Indiana Jones has along with him his friend Basil, um, who's the father of the Phoebe Waller-Bridge character, who we're going to be later. So, um, you know, they're hunting for this lance. Um, in the end, the lance turns out to be nothing. But they do also find the Antikythera mechanism, which is like this ancient clock invented by Archimedes that I guess has the power to uh, help people time travel. So there's a whole long action sequence on a train, and in the end, drop the Antikythera mechanism into the water. They supposedly lose half of it in the water? Yes, but in actuality, like, Indiana pockets it, right? And that's... Yes. Yeah, and, like, it's basically been lost to history because people think it fell into a river, but 
in actuality, he's been keeping it in like this, you know, library, right? Or this like storage. Yeah, I think it's like the Hunter College archaeology on the library or something. So yeah, he ends up saving it and bringing it back to America and putting it into a museum, <laughs> which, you know, is a thing. And the whole crux of this movie is that, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is looking for it so that she could sell it because she's like indebted to uh, some mobsters. And then, uh, of course, Mads Mikkelsen is still looking for it because he wants to actually turn back time because he believes the Nazis lost the war because of Hitler. So he actually wants to go back and kill Hitler because he thinks it would actually help the Nazis win. Fun little reveal. That's a cute little twist. Yeah, that's a little interesting thing that I kind of wish they played more on. But And then, of course, Indiana being who he is, is basically you know trying to stop uh, Mads' character from doing this. And in true Indiana Jones fashions, there's definitely supernatural slash like science fiction elements to the story. And there's a bunch of globe trotting, running around the yeah. globe, chasing after things. There's some yeah. clues. It fits the Indiana Jones formula. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Maybe just like things that worked or didn't work for you. Like things okay. that stuck out. Yeah. Like one of the things that stuck out for me, it's so silly, but it just like the fact that it stuck out to me means the movie wasn't fully working for me is so Indiana Jones is running away from the Nazis and they uh, kill a bunch of people in New York, Hunter College, I guess, which where he, I suppose where he teaches and they kill a whole bunch of people and then he's running away from them and he's a wanted man, but he's somehow able to get on a plane. Is plane security that lax in 1969 that you're able to just <laughs> get on a plane when you're actively wanted for wanted murder? Wanted by, yeah, I know. I See, thought the same fully, thing. Is that just lazy or am I bothered by it because the movie's just not that good, right? Like You kind of ignore plot holes in movies you like, right? I mean, I saw the same thing and I was like, oh, I guess maybe back then it was just that lax. And I'm just like, yeah, it didn't ruin the movie or anything, but it did stick out. And like, I'm not usually like a big plot hole. There's a plot hole guy. So like that just stuck out in my head. Like, yeah, maybe the movie's not fully working. You're supposed to kind of be carried along by the narrative, right? And like not notice those things or not be bothered by them. And it kind of bothered me a little bit, which is just a sign that maybe like everything wasn't gelling. One thing I liked is I, <laughs> I like the eels. They did this little dive down to yeah. uh, get a tablet that was to get them to the second half of the antikythera mechanism. And on the dive, they encounter a whole bunch of eels, which are, you know, basically like snakes, which we know Indiana Jones hates. And yeah. so I thought that that was a cool little subversion. I kind of Yeah, I thought it was really funny the way he reacts when someone's like, oh, yeah, there's eels down there. If you know Indiana Jones, you're like, oh, that's kind of funny. You know, it's kind of their way to sneak in snakes. And it was funny because the, the guy even says, oh, the eels, they kind of, you know, they look like snakes. He's like, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't want to hear it. I was going to ask. I mean, I kind of talked a little bit about the Phoebe Waller-Bridge character. Like, did she work for you at all? I thought she was going to bother me because I think in the commercials, they make her seem kind of annoying. But she didn't bother me. I think the thing with her, she's supposed to not be a super likable character at first, right? Because she's not the straightforward hero like Indian Jones. She's somebody who's taking these items and selling them. And she's a bit of a smart ass. And she has a bit of a grievance against Indian Jones a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, there's this one little line where she, you know, talks about how as a godfather, he's completely failed. He just completely sort of abandoned her. That actually really worked for me, was her pointing out his kind of failures there. I thought that was really good. I thought they were, especially from the trailers, I thought she was going to just be this person that maybe was like Indiana Jones, right? That was trying to be the next generation of Indiana Jones. 
Yes, they don't do something where they make her like, oh, she's the next Indian Jones. She's going to replace him or so, or she's yeah. carry on his legacy or something. They don't do that, which I think is probably really smart. Well, I mean, it's debatable to read at the end. Maybe like she does become that. Somehow the story is influenced to become like that. I don't know. But I do like that she doesn't start off like that, right? And like she is someone who's greedy, who is like trying to steal these artifacts so that she can basically pay off her debts, right? Because she's being hunted by the mob. I like that little twist on the character. I do think the character lacks a little development by the end. And I'm saying this partially because like I don't quite know what her motivations are at the end. Is it that she has learned something from this? Has she grown to be more like Indiana? I don't know. I don't think her character really changes much throughout this whole story. That or it's just not really clearly presented in any kind of way that I do think that, you know, she is essentially kind of a second lead. So you would think that your second lead would have some kind of maybe a, a stronger kind of story arc. I don't know if you agree with that statement or not. I mean, I, I guess it's a little ambiguous. I don't know. For me, I go with it. I was like, okay, you know, she's probably a better person now for having gone through this and done this, right? Like, I mean, she goes mm-hmm. to pretty great lengths to save him when, you know, it seems like earlier on in the movie, she would have been the type to have left him and gone after the prophet, right? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I took it as a given that she kind of changed. Is there anything else that bothered you? Anything else in the other little plot hole things? Well, I think one thing that was very hit or miss and very kind of like, I, I don't quite know if I like, but... I don't think it was necessarily bad. And I don't think it was the wrong choice for what this movie was trying to do. But the character of Teddy, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it reminded me a lot of the short round character, right? And like, yeah, Temple I think of Dune, or like the child kid sidekick, right? And again, I think he's given plenty to do as like a side character, right? Like, I, I feel like he's given more to do than the short round was in, in Temple of Doom. Yeah, he was very um, competent. Yes, I like the character, but also I, I do think there were times that having this kind of third character that seems to be so integrated in this team was maybe taking away from any kind of development between uh, Helena and Indiana character, where I think some of that relationship lacked a little bit at times in the movie, it was taken away because some of the focus was, well, what's Indiana and Teddy's relationship now? Like They were also trying to build up this relationship between like Helena and Teddy, right? In the lore of the movie or in the world of the movie, they seem to know each other for a long time. But, you know, as an audience member, we are kind of introduced to these characters and like we also have to be introduced to them as like a pair, right? The movie has to take time to make us believe that they care for each other and like they're a team in some aspect. I don't know. I think having to do all that kind of takes away from building a strong relationship between Harrison Ford and Phoebe Rollerbridge's character. So he takes up too much time for you overall? A little bit. I think that's what kind of bothers me about the character is that he actually is in the movie a little too much. Interesting. Yeah. He, he isn't in it a lot. He doesn't bother me. I thought he worked. The only thing about him that bothered me was the end where he's like, and I guess just got to talk about the end. He's flying a plane, something he's never done, completely alone, like into a storm chasing like almost certain death like that's a ride or die level of loyalty right this is not just like a kid who like is kind of your mentee in the criminal arts and is kind of a sort of a little junior partner with you and you're like splitting the profits of your criminal enterprise with him or something 
and he helps you out when it's convenient. Something like that. Like, this is a guy who's like going to the mat for you, willing to risk death to save your life. That I thought was a little like, wow, that didn't fully line up for me, I guess. Yeah. Like that's an insane thing for a child to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like if it's Indiana Jones doing that to save Phoebe Waller-Bridge, sure, that makes sense. But I don't know, this kid doing it, I was like, huh. You know, they had to do it in order to get the second plane to where it had to go. Otherwise, I thought he was like a kind of a competent kid sidekick. Like, I like the little bit where he goes and he pickpockets that kid who was nasty to him, goes mm-hmm. and buys some ice cream and then gets captured. I thought that was all like really neat character work that like makes sense with what we know of this kid. So I like that, that bit, actually. Yeah. If you want to cut something from this movie, which I think you do, I think this movie does need to be shorter. It's like, what, two and a half hours long? Yeah. And I think it could be two hours long, right? I think yeah. if you cut something, it's probably the beginning. I like some of the train action sequence stuff, but I but think it is you very could long. really cut most of that and yeah. be fine, right? Just do a very brief five-minute thing of that. You know, you introduce uh, Matt Smickelson. Like, I think you can do all of that in a much shorter time period. And they wanted to have the action sequences – which the train worked for me, most of it. Uh, yeah. A lot of the rest of it didn't. Because there was like some Indiana Jones type humor there and him trying to sneak around and doing some goofy stuff. Like that was fun. But yeah. as a whole, I think that's probably where I cut stuff. Is that the No, I, I don't disagree. I mean, if you think about The Last Crusade, right? It also begins with a train heist, right? If I remember correct, that's River Phoenix um, is like young Indiana yeah, yeah, Jones. Yeah, yes. yes, the young Indiana and Jones. And he's like thing. trying to steal like a, what, a necklace, right? Yes, or a pendant yes, or whatever yes. off of the train. I actually train. don't love like, that either, by the way. <laughs> oh, you don't? No. <laughs> I think that gets across what it was trying to do in a short time. And I think that's like your right. point, right? It should be the model. Yeah. 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 Like it or not. I, I think that's why I bring it up um, because I, I do agree. I think there's like a lot of things that go on in that train sequence because like he has to get on the train. He has to skirt his way around all the Nazis on the train. And then they have the thing on top of the train. Oh, they have like a couple sequences on top of the train. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. it's a, a lot yeah, of a different lot. things happening. And you're right. It is a pretty long sequence. Yeah, I, I think definitely you could cut some of it. I suspect that maybe they wanted to do such a long sequence in the past because it's technically like you can get body double that you put Harrison Ford's face on, right? De-age it. He can still do more action than he really could do in his like present day body. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's a chance to show off their technology, which raises another question. Is that where all the money for this fucking movie went? Because we didn't really talk about it, but this is the most expensive movie in the Indiana Jones film series. One of the most expensive films ever made. And it's not doing well at the box office. So where the hell did all the money go? I mean, one, I think it's locations. Okay. In the sense that that's just one of the things. I don't know if that's the most expensive. But one, I think it's because this movie does go to like a couple different locations, right? If I'm counting in my head correctly, it's like four or five. And, you know, a lot of it is when they're on location. It does kind of look like they're on location, right? Uh, You have that. And then I think, yes, too, is that CG. Like, there's a lot of de-aging. And it's not just that first sequence that we see, right? It is also... Yeah, they do some later flashbacks. Yeah, keep going back flashback-wise to his very young face. But I think you said it earlier. Like, I think generally it looks pretty good. It does. Like, the de-aging is, I hate to say it, the de-aging is getting better. Yeah. <laughs> They're getting better at it. You have to hand it to them. 
evil necromancer technology that they're using, it's, it's getting better. Yeah, the only kind of times I really spot imperfections is when someone's shining a light on their face. Lighting in CG is like still very difficult to get realistic. But, you know, when he's outside on top of that train and it's kind of dark, that actually helps with the whole, you know, trying to hide that CG. Yes, I did notice them doing a lot of stuff to kind of try to hide it and not make it yeah. too obvious. We're talking about broad things. Does the comedy in this movie work for you? Oh, um... Maybe not, because I don't actually remember anything that's particularly really funny. Do you remember anything that's really particularly funny? It's not a ton. The Indiana Jones movies usually have some kind of humor to them. They're not comedies, but they're kind of... There's funny stuff in them, and this movie seems to lack that a little bit. That's a place where I think maybe it's falling down a little bit. I mean, even someone like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is hilarious, like I said, if you've seen Fleabag, or even if her rendition of i don't remember the robot name in han solo generally pretty funny so yeah like i think even this character lacks a little bit of that humor i do agree uh generally i think this movie lacks in humor especially if i don't remember any of that (laughs) that's probably going to be the verdict then yeah being funny (laughs) the other big component of these movies is the action does the action work for you overall I think I said it already. I do think it does. Like I say the first train sequence is pretty long, but I did generally like the action. Him having to like fight on top of the train. And then the moment when like Mads gets hit in the face by that pole is like, oh, dang. Mm. And then I do like the middle sequence when they're in Morocco. Is that where they are? Yeah. Yeah, Like I think with the tut tuts was pretty thrilling. Even the last kind of getting to do the whole... I guess it's not really an action sequence, but it's very like Indiana Jones where you go through some kind of temple, right? Or some kind of treasure hunt. That's very synonymous to Indiana Jones. And I don't know if you can categorize it as action, but I did like the end sequence where they have to find the pieces that they need. I do think the treasure hunty stuff in the middle kind of works for me. They're jetting from location to location, hunting down little pieces and trying to decipher the clues together and stuff. That stuff is fun. Yeah, I like particularly the um, the sequence on the boat with the dynamite, and she's doing the decoding of the thing, and, and mm-hmm. she's talking. Like, I did like that one a bit, quite a bit. I think that might be my favorite in the yeah. movie. That one's yeah, fun. Yeah. And the top pets are cool, too, actually. Yeah. yeah. So overall, it actually kind of works. Um, I was going to say, I feel like he's just weighed down by his age, but like when I stop and think about it, I don't know, not really. There's not a lot of scenes where I'm like, oh, wow, the scene is ruined by the fact that he's 80-something. Like, not really. No. I do think that they try to incorporate him in the action as much as you can believe. I don't think there was ever a moment where I was like, oh, man, he's too old to be doing that. I mean, I probably could look at it and be like, he's too old to be doing that. But no moment stuck out as like, yeah, oh, he's so old. Like, this is so unbelievable. Like, you know, even the stuff with the tut tut. I mean, it's mostly him just driving it. But yeah, it was like thrilling. It was fun. And, you know, he even gets to throw some punches here and there. It's not like he's throwing a ton of punches doing like five minute hand to hand sequences. Throws one punch here or there. And like, I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. I believe that he can maybe get off a punch or two. And it's very much in Indiana Jones style, right? Where he yeah, just gets yeah. that one like haymaker off and he like knocks a guy out. I thought it was still very much reminiscent of like all the other Indiana Jones movies we've seen. But Still in the lane of this is an older Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say that one thing that really doesn't work for me is the Boyd Holbrook character as like this, I don't know, American right hand (laughs) Nazi, right? That's like one thing that's, I mean, 
This is Indiana Jones movie. Like, how much are you really asking character background perspective? That was definitely the one thing that kind of took me out of the movie. Like, he seems very American and this other guy seems very, very much like a Nazi. <laughs> like, uh, is this guy really... Sorry to say, there was plenty of overlap. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's plenty true. of room for overlap. I guess I just needed maybe like one quick line of why are you doing this? Because Mads Mikkelsen's character is really trying to change back time so that the Nazis win the war. It's like, what are your motivations? I don't know that anybody knows that until the very end or knows or believes it, right? Mm. It's going to just be a guy doing a job, you know? But the end, he's like, he's full in. They don't even make his character- Question it for a second. Question it or like- They don't even like sprinkle any kind of doubt of, does he even know what he's doing? Like, the guy seems fully aware of what's going to happen if he gives Mm. Mads the dial. And he's like gung-ho for it. That kind of took me up. Mm. All right. I think at this point can maybe start to talk about the ending, but then also talk about the one big detail that is an emotional driving force for the Indiana Jones character of this movie, right? So if you guys remember Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we are introduced to Indiana Jones's son. Do you remember the son's name? Mutt. Mutt, who was famously played by Shia LaBeouf in the fourth movie. In this movie, we learn that Mutt dies because he enlists in the war and is killed. War being Vietnam, right? He yeah, sorry. Vietnam yes, Vietnam War. Supposedly to piss off his father, and at least in part. And um, yeah, he's killed, and this causes the dissolution of Indiana Jones' marriage to Marianne Ravenwood, his love interest from that first movie. And yeah, it's all very quite sad. I don't know. I think this works. I think this really works for me, especially in the scene where... Um, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, she asks him, hey, what would you do if you had time travel at your disposal? Mm-hmm. He says, I would go back and tell my son not to enlist. Yeah. And that whole speech works for me totally. I was like, wow, that is a depth of character that I haven't seen before in the Indiana Jones movies. And I appreciate it. I thought that totally worked 100% for me. To talk about that character development even more. So, like, the whole crux of this movie, as we said, they're looking for this thing called the Dial of Destiny. But we'll call it the Dial of Destiny, right? That allows them to locate fissures in time big old windows in the sky that at the you know the last action sequence is them flying through and actually time traveling and mads mickelson's character thinks like he's figured it out he's a mathematician and they are going to fly back to 1940 whatever and kill hitler and his plan is to then maybe install himself as the new reich and lead the nazis to victory right But in actuality, what happens is that they end up all the way back way before that in the time of Archimedes, who invented the dial. That was kind of a cool sequence when they're flying through and you see all like the battleships with the trebuchets and like people firing the giant arrows and everything. So their plane gets taken down. Indiana Jones gets to meet essentially one of his idols, right? He actually gets to meet Archimedes and... At the end, he's telling Helen, like, you need to go home. You need to get back to their current present time. And he has decided that he's going to stay here, right? He just wants to live in the past because he doesn't think there's anything for him in the future. You know, his son is dead. His divorce is about to be finalized because there's like paperwork on his desk that you see early in the movie. So even that moment really worked for me, expressing why he just wants to stay, right? You know, he's a man who's adored history his whole life and to be able to then maybe like live history is very enticing but then also to know that there is nothing really tying him back to 1960s all that kind of works for me really well 
Yeah, it kind of works for me. So my issue is the whole time travel thing. I know Indiana Jones has supernatural elements. Uh-huh. It's a little silly. I almost thought they weren't going to do it um, mm. as they're flying towards the wound in the sky. I thought they were going to like veer away and not go for it and just leave it kind of up to you whether you thought this was actually going to work or not. Um, it's like not out of line with the other movies for there to be supernatural forces at work. But yeah, this one's it's a little silly, but it also gives the movie some pep. Like after this, you're like, I don't know where the hell this is going to end up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do think it does give the movie some energy in a cool way, even though it is super weird. It's weirder than Aliens. It's not weirder than Aliens, but that's a bad movie. Yeah, but like for me, when I was like, oh, the fourth movie went Aliens. Now time travels. It's fine. It's actually right. probably a better choice than Aliens. Probably, yeah, probably. And I think it works for the emotionality of like the character, right? Like, and wanting to stay in the past and everything. Who yeah, wants to stay in the past? I mean, like, I think all that kind of works with the theme of who Indiana Jones, like a person who like admires history, but then also someone who's feels so out of place in his own time at the moment that it all right. works thematically. Versus Aliens is just Aliens, right? True. I will say I do like a. I don't know, maybe it's not a time paradox, but I like when they close the ends of a time loop, right? So, earlier in the movie, they find uh, Archimedes' corpse, and Mm -hmm. he has a modern wristwatch on it. And then there's a drawing on the side of the tomb of a propeller plane. Yeah. And so then, the fact that they go back in time and show Archimedes a propeller plane, and he's able to grab that modern wristwatch, kind of ties everything together. And I guess they also show him the complete Antikythera mechanism, which I guess it's implied allows him to complete the one that he's building at the time of the siege, which he dies at the end of the siege, like in real history. He's killed. So I guess he has to like, I don't know, finish that machine pretty quick. I don't know how close. He or is then the idea that because they went back in time, he gives it to him, right? No, they take it back, don't they? No. I thought they took theirs back because Phoebe Waller-Bridge says explicitly, doesn't she say like, no, he's not allowed to have that, Right. Oh, you. She right. points it out, and then she says, "If you stayed here, a you would change the past, and b we can't give him this, right?" So, like, I'm pretty sure they take theirs with them, isn't it? In the apartment at the end. Uh, see, that's not. I can't remember if it's in the apartment in the end one, and then two. Like, there's a moment where he tries to hand back the dial and the watch, but I'm like, well, he has to have the watch, right? He has to have the watch, so I guess he doesn't hand the watch back, but. You know, the dial, yeah. maybe he hands back. I guess the question is, like, did he design the dial just to bring them back in time in order to help? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, the time travel thing, I guess it worked better for you than for me, but I like your take on it. I will say that in my theater, at least, the uh, hell in a punch got a laugh, right? She's kind of <laughs> able to convince Indiana Jones yeah. to come back to his own time, so she just knocks him out. She just punches him in the face and yeah. rescues him. Yeah. And, and that worked for my theater. That worked. And at the very end, I did like that they brought Marion back, right? Mm-hmm. I like that, you know, she makes an appearance in this movie, you know, it's it, mm. full circle. I don't know if it completely works for me in the sense that, is it the idea that because he almost died, almost lost through time, that she's there now to reconcile their differences? I don't know. It just like seems very abrupt, really quick to a resolution, you know, especially when she says something like, oh, I hear you're back. Whatever you did solved all your problems. Mm. You know, like that didn't quite work for me. But I, I mean, of course, it's great to see, you know, the Karen Allen character back as Marion. And like, it, mm. it is, like you said, it helps with the full circle-ness of this character. And if this is the last movie 
that we're going to see Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, then of course you should see that character too, because she is very pivotal to the history of Indiana Jones, right? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, do you think this is, I mean, I think this is definitely the last one in which he's Indiana Jones. Are they going to continue the franchise with someone else or how do you think this is going to go? Oh uh, yeah, I guess the question is, did we like Phoebe Waller-Bridge enough? Do you think she could be a good replacement? I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't know if you could then do it with someone fresh. Like, I think it would have been a good opportunity if everyone if they, loved your character. Right. If they hadn't done this movie to introduce someone new or build off of what you did in this movie, you can't, like, do both. I wouldn't be surprised if part of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls plan was, hey, if people love Shia LaBeouf in this role. Right. He's going to be the next one. He's right. going to be the successor, right? And I could yeah. have seen the same thing for someone like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, right? Like, if people love this character enough. Right, um, then, then you she's can, the heir. You would absolutely use her as the new right. indie replacement, but mm, I don't yeah, know yeah, if yeah. you can. I don't think either of Phoebe Waller-Bridge or Shia LaBeouf fill that role of the pulpy action serial hero, though, right? Yeah. So I don't know if they can replace Indiana Jones. They're just not doing the same thing. I probably have alluded to this idea already that I think this does feel like the end for me. Like, I would be happy enough if this was the end. Like, I don't think I need more Indiana Jones. And I think I'm satisfied enough with this arc. Like I said, I think this character is given more to do in this movie than even most of his other movies, honestly. I think there is an emotional depth, the fact that he loses his son and then he has to reconcile with his wife. That's a lot of heavy stuff for this character that I don't think we've really seen, you know, especially in the last movie or something like, like I said, the Temple of Doom. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to bring up? I think we got it all. I guess, is this one you can recommend? Do people run out and see this in theaters? Honestly, if you're looking for a fun experience, I think the action is good. I had a lot of fun with the action. So, yeah, I think so. And I, I think we're both kind of in line in the sense that this is somewhere in the middle, right? Whether it be the third or fourth spot, right? I think I'm a little cooler than you are. Like, it was fine. I wouldn't say don't go see it. If you're like, you know what? I'm going to go see a matinee for like five bucks or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Go. It'll be fine. It's a fine movie experience. But I'm not going to run out and tell anyone to change their opinion. Like, if you already weren't going to go see it, I'm not going to say, oh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely should. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to encourage you to see it. It's not something I'm going to evangelize for. It's fine, but not good. I think it earns that fourth slot. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it's something where if for some reason you want to go see an Indiana Jones movie, I think it's worth it. But if Indiana Jones is not your bag or you're waiting for Mission Impossible, I probably just wait for Mission Impossible, right? Yeah. If you're looking for yeah, like yeah. a really good action movie or something that's worth your money. I haven't seen Mission Impossible, so I don't know if that's worth the money, but I'm really hoping and pray it will be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess maybe the last thing we can talk about is you kind of brought it up um, is how much money this made. I think in this first weekend, it made first weekend plus the holidays. I think it made somewhere close to 80 million. So I, I think it's probably right? domestically. Sorry, domestically. So I think, you know, talking about our wager, you know, our summer uh, movie wager, like I think it'll make the top 10, but it's definitely not as going to be as high as you had it. To yeah, that's an oof. It's a giant sized <laughs> oof from me. I don't know why I possibly put it that high. I'm not sure what I was high on when I made my list, but yeah, that was <laughs> a bad idea. I put that at number two and it's, it's not going to be. So I think it'll probably end up beating out Oppenheimer and Barbie, but that might be it. <laughs> 
My excuse is that Ezra Miller kidnapped me and did my list. He put the flash that <laughs> yes, high. Yes. <laughs> like, I think that's probably my biggest mistake. And I don't know if this would be your biggest mistake, but I mean, you, you do have this one pretty high. Spot. Jeff better hope Mission Impossible does really well because he has that one pretty high. I'm hoping it's good and I'm hoping it does well because this one's not the summer blockbuster you're looking for, right? It was fine. No. It's not a wow, right? All right. Well, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Normally, I would ask Jeff if you could find more of his work. I think just to help plug his stuff, you know, you can find his stuff on strangeharpers.com to find his writing, his reviews and everything. Amir, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me in Tangiers. How about you, Derek? Where can people find your work? You can find me at The World's Okay's Photos. Uh, but if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our show is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other popular apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our voices out to more people. Also, if you have any questions, comments, you could email Jeff at Jeff at strangeharvest.com. That's right. We want to hear your guys' rankings or if you guys have comments or thoughts about this movie. And we definitely um, want to hear it. We will see you guys next week. Uh, Jeff should be back for that. So we'll have hopefully a full house next week. All right. See you next week, everybody.